When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why did my f facing Floyd Mayweather in the f Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Hello, boys and girls. This is a story that I like to call... Peter and the Wolf. Are you sitting comfortably? Are you? Good. Then let's begin. Well, Matt, I don't know what we're going to do with this particular uh, double episode we're about to record. I think, I think we can for sure rank the album. I don't know if we're going to be able to ra- rank these tracks. amongst everything yeah i mean it's even uh i think we're even up for debate well not on side one so much but side two is like whether it's even one piece or a bunch of pieces i've seen it 15 broken down differently yeah Yeah, exactly depending on where we are it's very it's very strange uh and you know as much as you and i love music i think we would both agree that that uh classical music in any sense is not exactly uh our our skill set i don't for a man who has almost 6,000 CDs, I have not a single classical music CD anywhere in my collection. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I did start a college degree in music. I did, okay. not, I did not finish it. <laughs> so you I could have gotten into classical music. I, I, in theory, there there's time. an alternate version of my life where I am super qualified for this conversation, but I took two of the four music history classes I was supposed to take. <laughs> and actually... <laughs> To be fair, I think I, you know what? I don't even remember that the, the eras that I did, but I think it was oddly just because of timings. I think it was like the two middle periods that they talked about. So I think I did actually cover a little bit of Prokofiev um, in one of those classes. And maybe whether or not I did or didn't is going to be evidenced by how correctly I'm pronouncing his name. Uh, I'm not Russian. But uh, Prokofiev, I think, is what I'm Prokofiev, I, I think, is correct, right? I, I will say I have to say that the first and fourth semester would be the best, too, I think. I know. I actually really wish that I took the last one because I'm I'm really the the last semester of music history, at least at NYU, kind of went up to modern modern composition and minimalism, which is I love that stuff. Um, and I didn't get to fully dive into all of that, unfortunately. Um I think I wound up in the middle two periods. I know I didn't do the first one, which is very old, like Gregorian uh, stuff, and I did not actually touch that. But I think I might have had a little bit. And if, again, he would, in theory, be on the more modern 
composer side here. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. <laughs> yeah, let's let's introduce. We got a guest here. That's going to have a guest. We need to introduce. We just jumped right into music history. <laughs> All right, Mark, introduce yourself and and why you are qualified to help us two idiots talk about Peter and the Wolf. Well, okay, I, I think I can do the first thing. Uh, my name is Mark <laughs> Popany. Um, I am a musician. I am also a college professor of said subject music. I am not a scholar in Prokofiev. Um, I'm a composer, actually. Um, so I write music, all that stuff. I am I am the rare guy who simultaneously is trained to write orchestral music and stuff like that, but also plays in a ska punk band. So <laughs> I, I don't know that we're really we're we're really a common thing. I mean, I guess the rest of my ska band we're called the Slackademic, so we're sort of all that. That's kind of all of our things. Sounds like you were actually the perfect person to translate all of this for us. I'm gonna <laughs> into, try into like, ska language that we can understand. Right, that's right. We're we're gonna find all of the upbeats and <laughs> yeah, exactly synth horn parts. We're gonna pick it up and beat downs. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mostly my, my game in terms of teaching. I don't teach any of the semesters of music history anymore. I'm, I'm a music theory teacher. I teach music mm. theory and music production mostly. Do you guys see Goodwill Hunting? Sure. It's yes. been a while. Do you remember yes. the the college that uh, Robin Williams really, really, really sadly teaches psychology at? Yes. Um, I teach at that college. Uh, oh, shout out, wow. Shout out to Bunker Hill Community College in Boston and also shout out to the behavioral science department. All of the psychology professors I know are super happy, so... Um, oh, I love that. Rest in peace, Robin Williams. But the, I, that's that's our claim to fame, I guess. Um, I was going to say, what a, what an interesting legacy for your school to have. Right. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that until I literally moved here and took the job. But but wow. Yeah. So yeah, I, I teach music, but also I've been kind of more, classical music to me was a late late bloom thing. Like I was mm. a college poli sci major who added music as a second thing. I played guitar before that, and then before I knew it, I was a classical composer. But it's actually that, it's that last semester we were talking, it's the minimalism and Philip Glass, Steve Reich, all that stuff was what turned yeah. me onto it. It wasn't That's really the- same, exactly the same for me. And it was a music theory teacher that I had oh, yeah. who showed me Music for 18 Musicians by Steve Reich, who oh, like, it amazing. just completely blew my mind. Like I had no idea that it could be like that. Philip Glass, Steve Reich, yeah, all that stuff is just, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like EDM. 30 years before the technology even It really kind of is, yeah. It really um, kind of is. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about what we're talking about here, uh, and we'll go through this in a couple steps. So first, quick breakdown. We're going to be uh, reviewing this album in two pieces. Uh, there's the Peter and the Wolf piece, and then there's the Carnival of Animals Part 2. Uh, it's a studio album from Weird Al, along with composer and keyboardist Wendy Carlos. Uh, it was released in October of 1988. It's a comical adaptation of the orchestral works of Peter and the Wolf and the Carnival of Animals. Uh, Wendy Carlos was actually invited by CBS Records to work on a project with Yankovic. Uh, she later recounted the project was a chance for some musical fun and tomfoolery, working with a bright, witty collaborator before getting to more adventurous tuning and timber uh, projects. She wrote new, new music for both of the stories. Uh, something else that I happened to find that I thought was really interesting. This album was nominated for the Best Children's Album at the 31st Grammys Award, but it lost to Robin Williams' Pecos Bill Ah, album. Robin strikes just, again. That's right. Yeah, Robin Twice strikes again. Twice in one again. episode already. Fun <laughs> fact, though, because I, I couldn't let this stand. I had to do some research. 
Peter and the Wolf had won the Best Children's Album Award three times prior. Wow. <laughs> at the Grammys for different people's renditions of it. Uh, the first time that it was nominated and didn't win was David Bowie's Peter and the Wolf. Uh, and then it has not won since. Did you guys uh, look at the Bowie. list of what some of these versions are? <laughs> yeah. No, I did, uh, I did not see the list of versions that one won. One is Leonard Burns, uh, Bernstein. I saw that. Yeah, um, and that's he, he he's conducted and been the artistic director of like every famous classical piece ever. Sure, so that, yeah. that one, I'm sure that's a wonderful one to to um, to listen to. But that one didn't surprise me. I th- if you just go to Wikipedia and there's a massive list, but I wrote down a few of them. The most recent that I thought was kind of awesome to point out was Alice Cooper in 2015. I, be- now, I you know what? I think he's just I think doing that the narration. He would do a great job with it, honestly. Yeah, Alice no, Cooper's got a great voice for narration. I think he's just narrating. I don't think he's conducting the orchestra or anything. <laughs> so, one I, I thought was so. really cool in 2003, Bill Clinton, Mikhail Gorbachev, and Sophia Loren did a version. But I think the Clinton Gorbachev thing are on kind of a spin off piece on the side B or whatever, but I guess that was a CD. But that, that blew my mind. Um, in the 90s, Melissa Joan Hart, playing the role of Clarissa from Clarissa Explains It All, <laughs> narrates it. Um, and then there's PDQ Bach. Do you know PD? Have you, it's kind of, oh, there's a Wendy yeah. Carlos connection. Sure. What's his last name? Peter, I wrote it down, Shakeli or whatever. He, it's like a mm. fake classical composer, right. kind of in line of Wendy Carlos did one. And then Sean Connery did one. And Boris Karloff did one Boris in, Karloff. in the 50s. Yeah. Just, Wait, sorry. so I'm... I'm scrolling through here, and I want to shout out a few that you Please, skipped yeah, yeah. over that need to be mentioned. Um, first of all, Christopher Lee. I mean, oh, perfect wow. voice yeah. for narration. Wow. Great call. Um, but the the biggest one that I need to track down and listen to is in 1991, Dom DeLuise <laughs> narrated a version of Peter and the Wolf. Uh, and then you said that the newest one that jumped out to you was Alice Cooper in, well, I was in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. There was actually three versions of Peter and the Wolf that happened in 2015. It was Alice Cooper for one of them, Harry Shear for another one, and David Tennant for the third Wow. <laughs> that, uh, I remember listening to this full piece pretty regularly in like elementary school and middle school music classes. Um, and I think there's a Disney cartoon that goes along with it, right? I'm pretty sure or I some saw animated. that in, in school. I think there is, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this is a great, like, it, it, I mean, it was written originally as this, like, sort of frivolous, child-friendly piece, I believe. That's my understanding, is that this was designed, it was written as a uh, sort of, like, I don't know if it was, like, strictly for children. I don't know if you would know that. But, like, I think, I mean, it's it has always veered in that direction. It's interesting. There's a handful of, like, classical pieces that have wound up becoming more like kid friendly pieces of music. And I know plenty of composers really resented that <laughs> very <laughs> deeply. Like I know like Tchaikovsky famously really did not like um, the Nutcracker when he did that, which has become like such a family friendly piece of music and that he was just like, this is the worst thing I ever made. I'm so upset that, <laughs> that I did this. Um, but I think this was, am, am I correct? Was this like made as a, as a like piece of children's music? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'm just wondering if, if it's too early to get into this because there's actually <laughs> kind of a lot there that this is the 
former Polly's recovering political science major when I was in college speaking, but like there's a lot of politics to this piece that I had no idea about really. I was reading a little bit about it in anticipation of this, but it it was too, I'm glad you're here because it's too complicated to like skim on Wikipedia and process all of it. So, well, I mean, I think one thing, I don't, I I don't remember her name. I, I, I thought I wrote it down, but I'm not finding out. I wrote a few notes, but the person that commissioned this piece in the USSR was running a children's theater. So it was totally for gotcha. children. And and Prokofi, Prokofiev, or Sergei, as maybe we could we can We can call him Sergei. That sounds good. We're familiar. We're um, close with Sergei. He Sergei. had been living like in the United States and Western <laughs> Europe and stuff like that. He went back during the Great Depression because his career prospects were were better there. Yeah. Um so they commissioned this thing and within a few years the commissioner was thrown in a gulag for ties to sort of anti-communist party people. So it's it's from the from the jump it was already causing a stir. But you mentioned some people like resisting their most famous piece. I don't know yeah. if Prokofiev himself ever had a problem with this piece really, but it sort of was super divisive in this yeah. crazy no, it, way. I didn't see anything like I mentioned like Tchaikovsky. Like I don't think that Prokofiev ever or Sergei will say. Uh, I don't think he ever said anything that I saw to indicate that he had any problem with this. I think he was actually at this point initially when this came out and was immediately well received. I think he was pretty stoked that people were on board because like you said, from the quick history, he had bounced around the world really looking for recognition and was not getting it, which is what sent him back to the USSR. haha. And, uh, he got some, some praise before then suddenly the politics changed. And yeah, uh, the uh, commissioner was thrown into gulag. He had to denounce a lot of his own works. He had to plead guilty to uh, basically making music that was not in line with Soviet values. Um, it's a wild story. Well, so yeah. and that's where it's crazy. And this is where I think it's really meta. And maybe we're we're too meta too early, but and <laughs> yeah. I think especially with regards to Wendy Carlos's role in yeah. doing this, more so maybe than than Weird Al. But at the end of the Cold War, they're doing this. Prokofiev was getting shouted at by the communists in the USSR as being too Western, right? Right. Um, he wasn't doing what they call it socialist realist music, basically like music that celebrates the Russian people, which Peter, the character Peter is literally a young pioneer. He's sort of like a, a Russian Boy Scout. So I don't know. That seems pretty rah, rah, rah to me. But yeah, but yeah. his music was too sort of fancy, I guess. And but on the other hand, the say, weird this thing, is yeah. In the in the grand scheme of like classical music, I feel like there's maybe ten pieces of classical music that just everybody knows. You know, yeah. like it's just like unavoidable stuff. The Nutcracker, everybody knows the music of the Nutcracker. Um, a bunch of Beethoven stuff, like not all of it, but like a good chunk of Beethoven stuff, just like everybody knows. And I really do think that, like, like that's just a thing that, like, every like, like you might not Even say when you, you say know, Peter you know. and the Wolf, people are like, yeah. I'm not sure if I know that. You start humming that melody line, everyone's like, Oh yeah, Peter yeah. and the Wolf. You might not know the name, but you would know that <laughs> melody anywhere for sure. Yeah. But like, but I, sorry, go ahead. But I could see what their complaint is because. All the other stuff that I compared it to <laughs> is definitely a way more Western-influenced orchestral music versus, like, when you think of the music that was coming out of the Soviet Union uh, and in that time period, it's it's a lot more um, 
it's almost like militarized. Yeah, the it, it sounds. sounds like it's really <laughs> propaganda. And, and mm-hmm. Prokofiev went there. He kind of tried to play nice. But the weird thing about it, and this is where I feel like it connects really well to Wendy Carlos, before people get too scared that we're not going to talk about Weird Al. Um, <laughs> in the West, people were hating on this kind of thing too, meaning like United States and England and France and stuff. Mass culture, like real people loved it. But people like me, like the academics, the professional composers were all trashing this stuff yeah. because it was too Soviet. And that's crazy. So like everybody hated it because it was too poppy. It, the middle of the century is, there's some cool music that's written, but there's also a lot of really, my some of my former professors are going to hate me, but like real closed-mindedness. Like if your music yeah. is, if people like your music, it's bad. Like that's kind of well, what, that's, what, what just, a lot of the atonal stuff in the mid-century. And again, some of it's really amazing, but the attitude, and this is the attitude that Wendy Carlos would have been trained in. Coming mm-hmm. up, studying totally. music in the 60s, would have been this sort of like there were composers like you guys know Aaron Copeland sure he's, yes. he's another like this heavy hitter super catchy beautiful American music he was literally investigated by the House Un-American Activities Committee because his music was too populist yeah also he was gay wild. and Jewish which sure. didn't help yeah. him in the 50s but so Wendy Carlos who turns out to be this person who's what is she doing? She's trying to make accessible this new instrument, the synthesizer, right? So mm. these albums she makes in the 60s and 70s are all about showcasing the Moog synth and look at this fine classical music played on this new machine, painstakingly rendered through all the multi-tracking and stuff. But also that kind of music, the the pretty classical music was being shunned by the classical music scene. And so Peter and the Wolf is chugging along as one of these pieces that's super popular, but actually American, like serious composers were kind of furrowing their brows and scowling at it. So I don't know, it's just, when the Cold War is about to end, this is what, 80, is this 88 or 89, this piece? Uh, uh, this is 88 is when this comes out. Okay, yeah. before UHF, right? So, okay, yeah, so the Berlin yeah. Wall hasn't fallen yet, but it's getting close. And there's this subversive sort of electronic version by yeah. somebody who's subverting classical music by doing synths, but also subverting the classical establishment by doing the, the stuff that people like instead of, you know, Philip Glass or Steve Reich, all this minimalism we're talking about, or, or Pierre Boulez, the atonal stuff. I, we like that stuff, but that's not, you know, radio well, hits. Yeah, stuff, yeah. right? So there's so there's two other things I'm thinking of. So I'm thinking of the only other person I can think of who was doing kind of similar stuff, and I cannot remember his name to save my life. But the guy who did like the uh, Chariots of Fire, you know, he was he was in the late '70s, early '80s, really playing around with synth stuff as well, because that that piece of instrumentation is a lot of synthesizer. But it can't go ignored as well that like not only is Wendy Carlos doing stuff with an instrument that was already kind of like, how dare you bring a synthesizer into classical music? Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, also a transgender person since 1968, decades before that was even a, a piece of conversation for anybody to to analyze. Like, it was a, it was a big-ass hill for Wendy to be climbing to begin with in social acceptability in almost every... Single Absolutely, stretch, yeah. which again, to, to reverse 
everywhere, back to everything. Just more proof that Al has always just been an accepting, <laughs> progressive-minded human being in like every way, shape imaginable in my mind. I, I was thinking about that very thing, but but how culture doesn't move with your progressive, like you're accepting, because he's still using transsexual Nazi Eskimo jokes. That's from, you can't watch this, right? That's the 90s. Yeah. And then up to, <laughs> yeah, what's true. the one in Running With Scissors? There's the, the like, Jerry, Springer. Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer, Springer, Springer right? <laughs> Jerry Springer's an interesting one, though, because I feel like the lyrics, I've read somewhere that every single thing that he says is an actual name of a Jerry Springer episode. So it kind wow. of does yeah, yeah, walk yeah. that fine line of, like, knowing you're using offensive lyrics but you're also highlighting how intensely sure. offensive the jerry springer show was with their names to begin with well, like yeah, it, sure. that's, or that's or, a finer but, line to but walk but truck yeah. driving like, song goes there a little bit like or whatever sure. it's yeah. called sorry like yeah, yeah, the no, point right. is like he's still sort of riding the transness is a joke thing for quite a while i mean i i, I did the i went to the um local what does he call it the vanity tour last oh, yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He stops in the middle of Albuquerque and apologizes for the hermaphrodite line. Yeah. I and then goes the on. Thing. And of course, he's doing all the other jokes. And hermaphroditism, obviously not the same as being trans, but it's still sort of within the non traditional gender and sexuality sort of norms of the sure. society in terms of the people's perspectives and stuff. And that seems like a guy who wouldn't have made those jokes, but but he was friends with Wendy Carlos. I, I yeah, assume yeah. I never heard I never found anything when I was looking around about any contentious relationship between them. I think it was a fun collaboration. I I can't find that much from them, but yeah, it's it's just according to wild. I just jumped on Wendy Carlos's Wikipedia page and I wanted to scroll down to what it says about this album. And this is something I didn't. I I wish I had seen this earlier. I would have mentioned it. Uh, it says. Yankovic adapted and narrated the story while Carlos arranged the music using a MIDI orchestra. This was her first venture using the digital interface. So this is also the first time she's ever used the MIDI the MIDI interface for anything. It, it's crazy the amount of work she put into this. Oh so, my god. Yeah. And yeah. and if you if you listen to the older albums like Switched on Bach, I don't know if you've heard any of those. That's even crazier. Like the amount She's playing every single part and changing the sound and then playing it, overdubbing it. So this time it's digital. It's using she's using um, a digital performer, which is a program that still exists now. But I can't even imagine the '80s version of this thing. But still having playing every single part. It's not like she just typed it in like no, I, I yeah. could go into Pro Tools or whatever and and just sort of type up the notation essentially and played every single part twisted the knobs, designed every single sound. And this is using, without getting in too much into the weeds, this is using something called additive synthesis, which is literally you build every wave one at a time. You don't just kind of choose a preset. You go, well, a, a xylophone or a, a saxophone has this frequency content, and you build the sound like kind of tone by tone, and it takes tons of time to do, but that's how she gets these kind of pretty realistic sounds instead of a yeah, sort of synth there's sound. only there's maybe only a handful of times where i was reminded that this was the synthesizer yeah 
Like, there's a lot of part, parts where I'm like, man, he got a whole orchestra for this shit, didn't he? Yeah. And then, like, I hear, like, a certain note where I'm like, oh, okay, no, that's that's definitely coming out of a synth. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like, there's, a, yeah, there's she, a, like, a MIDI horn sound at one point that's yeah. very distinctly, like, oh, that sounds like it was from a, a Casio keyboard that came out 10 years later. But, no, you're, you're exactly right. In this day and age, it's very easy to forget, like, because now every computer comes with, like, something like GarageBand, where you can just, like with your keyboard play all these different instrument sounds which are called soft synths nowadays where you can like pretend like have all these different voices that you can record with wendy back then had to build it all like from scratch using the most fundamental elements of sine waves and square waves and stuff to make these tones like it is it is impossible to overstate how difficult this would have been to make at this time and I want to I want to take a quick pause and ask a question of all of us. Honestly, when did you even discover this album existed? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, Mayan was like maybe ten years ago. I was today years on, old when, <laughs> yeah, like on the Comedy Death Ray podcast. I think they were doing they were doing like a charity fundraiser, and one of the things you could bid on was a vinyl copy of this album. And it, I think I downloaded it. Illegally, uh, because well, I was like, you can't I download it legally. It doesn't exist. No, I know. I was like, th- I had no clue this was a thing. Like, I was like, they're making this up. There's no way Weird Al did a Peter and the Wolf parody, and that was. I had bought every one of his albums at that point. I thought I had the full Al collection at that point. Like, this is yeah. a really hidden. It's a, it's a very very piece. hidden track. I think I remembered someone telling me about it when I was still like pretty young, but also them kind of dismissing it and being like, that's not a real uh, Al record. Like it, it is, but it isn't there. Like you don't really need to, to hear that. And of course, as a kid who was, you know, primarily interested in Amish paradise, they were probably right. Yeah. <laughs> that I think at that time I would have heard this and been like, I don't know what to make of this at all. It would have been totally um, perplexing to me. I definitely didn't hear it for real until way way later like in the last couple of years did i actually sit down and listen to the whole thing for for me definitely not when i was a kid it, i think i'd first figured it out when i was i had a, a sort of weird al renaissance after straight out of linwood came out mm-hmm. is when mm-hmm. i dusted off the the music major snobbiness and went holy cow yeah. this stuff's amazing <laughs> and that's when suddenly all the style parodies and originals became my favorite songs that kind of thing right because i yeah. i was a huge al fan as a kid like Anybody who knows the kind of music I make would not be surprised, but Weird Al and Boys to Men was like my early 90s jam before I discovered like What are you, Chris and- Fafalius? What's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> so for sure. So, so I'm like a fifth grader, fourth grader when uh, Off the Deep End comes out. So I was, I don't know, 10 or 9 or whatever. And then it was the ritual of going to the record store. Shout out to the warehouse on Mir Mesa Boulevard, which has been out of business for 30 years, 20 years. Um, and I would just go to the section and gradually accumulate albums but guess who never checked for weird al in the classical music section right (laughs) i also i didn't know there was a uhf soundtrack until i was in my 20s because Mm. i didn't go to the soundtrack section i would just go to the area i don't remember if it was comedy or if it was the like the rock slash pop slash soul that was the category there and i would just look under i never even i never even thought that this did this get a compact disc release? It did. I guess in my brain, I never thought it would have. I'm I'm pretty sure it did. Um, wow. It well, you know what? Now is as good a time as any to do a reveal, which is that 
I was hoping I was going to do it. Yeah. And I managed to yeah. get the vinyl. I have the, uh, I got the Peter and the Wolf vinyl. I found someone selling this on eBay for a price that I could afford with my humble lifestyle nice. over here. And, uh, and it's a wonderful thing to have. I, I do believe that I saw it had a, a, a CD release as well, and maybe even a cassette release. But, I mean, it has been out of print since this original press. Like, it has never been repressed in any yeah. form. It's um, unavailable on almost all streaming services. We, uh, really. Even on YouTube, you can only find the Peter and the Wolf half of it. I know, the Carnival of the Animals part is not. Uh, it has been, at least as of this recording, it has been posted on the Internet Archive for That's download. That's how I had to listen and to that it today. Is, yeah. uh, you know, I'm generally, I think we're never ones to encourage the stealing of Al's material, but this is truly unavailable any other way. There's no way to support him or Wendy in this project, which is a shame. I really hope that this comes out in some way that people can can get again, because to get back to this music a little bit, like this is this hits a spot that I love so much that I actually really, I love an album that is, all the uh, what this is is attempting to turn kids on to classical music and the ideas and the themes that come with classical like that's really what we're trying to do here and make it fun make it digestible make it like a, a pleasant experience both sides of this record are really trying to do that and the way that they introduce the instruments that carry the different characters themes and stuff like this is all a really great crash course in classical composition um and God, I wish that I heard this when I was a really little kid, you know? Yeah. Um, I wish I, I heard it in 1988 you, when I was two years old. That would well, have been, you got uh, that vinyl. I do have to ask, is there any messages in the dead wax? You know, oh. I knew you were going to ask, and I checked. There's not. Okay. <laughs> not on the CBS classical label. They're not uh, putting up with those kind of shenanigans. Um, we also didn't say it specifically, but interesting to note, this is the first record that Al recorded for CBS Records. It's the only record he recorded for CBS Records. Um, it is also the very first album he ever released that he is credited as a producer. Oh. He has only worked with Rick Derringer up until this point. This is the first album he's credited as a producer on. It's the first thing, and it's the only actual studio album he has ever made without his band. His go-to yeah. guys that he has worked with on everything. This is, I mean, again, even, like, this is an outlier in every possible way in this man's career. For someone who we always love to say is weird, it's in his name, this might be the weirdest thing he has ever done. Somebody plays that guitar solo, though. Somebody plays that guitar solo. Thank you for pointing that out. Is I don't know Jim? if that's Jim West. He is not credited. I mean, the credits on this record are really bare bones. They don't even note, like, okay, so the joke of this is that, you know, one of the characters is the, the janitor. Bob. Bob the janitor, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, who, represented by an accordion. Who is represented by an accordion. Now, in the credits, the very sparse credits for this record, Al is only credited with doing the text, the narration or writing the um, the, the adapted text of Peter and the Wolf and writing the poems in Carnival of the Animals Part 2. He has no musical credit at all. But obviously he's playing that accordion. I think I guess they just yeah. were not paying enough attention. So I don't know. It could have been Jim West who played that little guitar solo on here. But uh, if anyone else is credited, I even thought it might have sounded like his band. There's that joke at the beginning where he's introducing all the characters. And he was like, and uh, who is it who has this sound? And there's the guys in the back like, it's the wolf, the wolf. Yeah. 
At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why did my facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Also, to answer an earlier question on the Wikipedia page under release, it does say... On the LP and cassette releases, each side is a continuous track. CD separates side A into the in di- uh, different parts. There you go. So it did get vinyl, CD, and cassette all released. Yeah. Uh, just so, insane. It's just insane. Like this whole thing's insane. Let's break. Let's start to break down a little bit of the stuff that. I mean, we're we're talking about a thirty-one minute long. Piece well, can I say something music, about that accordion? So, I know we're coming yes. back to Bob. Bob will come back. That is the only acoustic instrument in the entire thing. So, like, we've talked about that. That's obvious we're talking about electronic music. But there's something – it's this kind of, you know, the the whole joke in the movie is the accordion is this kind of old-fashioned thing. Yeah. But it's it's the one hanging on. I mean, the electric guitar is a real instrument, so to speak, not a synth. Sorry, synth players. But but it's (laughs) it's distorted. It's electric. This is an accordion, and it does strike you when you hear it as, like, so distinct sonically – and also, sorry, my, my one question before, sorry to, to derail, yeah, no, no, you're good. Matt, but what does it mean that Al produced this? Because I know just from interviews I've seen with, with Wendy Carlos and stuff, the amount of work, like putting, comp- putting the music together was not Al's thing. It has to have been her thing. So, so yeah. money? Like what was his? Well, she is credited as having done the music and the arrangement of the music. Uh, and performed the music again the, it, uh, for both of them music performed by Wendy Carlos and I love this Wendy Carlos and the LSI Philharmonic which is just the name of her computer system it sounds like an orchestra but it's not it's just her software key a hardware setup so for the production on this my guess is it's not financial as much as it is like he was a director on the project of like we're gonna I want like he was overseeing some some general creative like she I'm sure she handled all of the musical side herself, but he was in some way instrumental in shaping how this ultimately turned out like he probably. Yeah, I think in both things I saw he wrote the narration first and then delivered that to Wendy, who composed around the narration he did. So like he was sort of the primary, I don't know, directive force of the of how this would ultimately turn out is my guess. Producer credit in music can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. It can mean, I think you should do so, it this way and not that way, or it can mean I did 
a tremendous amount of the legwork myself, you know. So let's pull it from this. So I clicked into the producer wiki page just to try to get a better understanding of what a record producer is. Mm-hmm. Science is a record producer, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Supervisor whose responsibilities can involve a range of creative and or technical leadership roles. Typically, the job involves hands-on oversight of the recording sessions, ensuring the artists deliver acceptable performances, supervising the technical engineering of the recording and coordinating with the production team and process. But I caught this thing. However, in technical music or in classical music recordings, the producer serves as more of a liaison between the conductor and the engineering team, um, which... At this point, I guess it's just Wendy Carlos. I would say extra interesting because there really, I don't think there is an engineering team on this. Yeah. It is Wendy with yeah. a computer. Um, Honestly, we might be listening to this album is essentially what that Postal Service album was, but like a couple <laughs> years earlier. That's a great. That's a great reference for it. I love that. But, but they were probably in the same. Well, they they maybe they yeah. were never in the same space. I, I don't know. I mean, I think you. Uh, one of you said like earlier, like, does this go on the list? And like, it's a parody. It, it, it is it, a parody. It, it is You're music played right. by a highly competent musicians, which may or may not include Al, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> With new lyrics performed by Al that are meant to be funny. It is a parody, right? It, it's it beca- and it's a cover. It's You're a re right. a reinterpretation. Reinterp- so it's stylistically totally different than the rest of the rest of the oeuvre, but it, it sort of is. Now, Carnival of the Animals is different because that one, it's not. I think the introduction is maybe Sanson, but the rest of it is pretty much original, original yeah. music. So yeah. those are style parodies, maybe, but they're not written by yeah. Al, so where do they go? I don't know. I know, exactly. They... And also, you know what? Uh, see, this is immediately paying for itself because on Wikipedia, the, cr- the producer credit for this album is just Weird Al, but on the back of this jacket, it says produced by Weird Al and Wendy Carlos. That makes a lot so, of sense. So yeah. that makes way more sense. The two of them made this record together. That's really what we're like. They were both probably communicating directly and in charge of the direction of the project. And Al was handling, um, you know, the fundamental sort of comedic elements of the parody here. And Wendy was writing around uh, those those ideas. But I'm sure it was a true, it definitely in every way seems like a true collaboration between these two people. And I wonder how much Al was involved in some of the musical choices that were made. Not yeah. not not the synth sounds. I, I think maybe Al in 2023 has a handle on yeah. emulating <laughs> a, a clarinet, but but Wendy would have been the only expert in the world at that back then. Exactly. But, exactly. But there's a lot of jokes in the music. So this is my well, thought. I guess because there's as being, sorry, there's a scene where they play the psycho music, that's, and I feel like that's a lot. totally an Al call. Like, so what it's I like did, a, yeah. So what I did was I got the score of the actual piece and I listened to the Wendy Carlos version and I read the score and I paused it when I found something different. And so wow. some of it is really dumb stuff that I wonder maybe I'm just a bad musician or maybe they made a mistake <laughs> where literally one of the grandpa ones goes ba 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 bum and it goes ba 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 bum in the in the Wendy Carlos one and I'm scratching my head is that a reference I don't get? But some of them are are definitely oh, gettable, I don't right? Know. So there's the psycho, the Bernard Herrmann psycho music. Yes. Um, when I guess it's when the duck gets eaten. That's when the duck is being eaten. Yeah. Yeah. While the, I was screaming in the background. Which yeah. Which oh god, he got him. He got him. Oh, it's terrible. I can't believe it. The it's like Jurassic <laughs> Park level <laughs> screams. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 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 I can't believe it! Oh, the humanity! 
And then with one big gulp, Seymour wolfed him down. The quacks and stuff. Those quacks, by the way, bring back traumatic memories of I want a new duck, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> the dragnet theme. You know, Ooh, I didn't catch bum, that. Yeah, where bum, was that? Bum. So that's so I heard that I listened to this when we first the idea of doing this podcast first popped up that I would be a guest. I just listened to it before I looked, yeah. looked at the score, which technically I've never listened to it since I don't own the ELP, right? I'll say mm-hmm. that. I've never listened <laughs> to this piece, right? Of course, but, yeah. I just want, what, what is that? The Don, why is that there? The Don, ba dum bum, bum. But when I look at the score, there's a moment where the bassoon goes, which is generally grandpa in this, but just also an instrument, mm-hmm. goes, bum, 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 ba dum. So it's similar, but it's this dramatic moment. It's it's the part where right after, it's the, like, look out, the someone's about to be eaten. It must be the bird flies away or something like that. <laughs> Advised Peter. Okay, so it's right before the, the psycho thing. I think then. it's okay. It's, that's so, right. So okay, so it's not even like because the psycho one, it's very distinct. Someone yeah. is being murdered, so you're using one of the more, arguably one of the more Im- infamous. It's an iconic murdering. motif. Everyone knows yeah, what that means. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I was like, where would they fit the dragnet theme in, where it makes sense in the motif? But it's not about what's happening in the dialogue. It's looking at the composition of Peter and the Wolf and being like, this is only a couple notes off from the Dragnet theme. Let's just let's just go there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's a trombone or a bassoon line that somebody, whether it's Al or Wendy, just went, hey, that sounds kind of like Dragnet, and they took it and ran with it. And started jerking back and forth. I think there's a part where the bird is flying around, like not attacking the wolf, but teasing the wolf or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and he's asking the bird to like distract the wolf so that he can throw the the lasso. The, yeah, the dental, yeah, yeah, that's floss. Right. The dental exactly. floss lasso. Yeah. <laughs> but but anyways, there's these junk 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 junks in the str- in the strings, and then out of nowhere, it starts this crazy junk 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 And y'all have to listen to this piece. It's, yeah. it's it's a direct reference of something called the Rite of Spring, which is another right. Russian. Ballet right. composer, because because Prokofiev did some ballets. Meanwhile, this piece was like I don't know what is it, 1908 or something like that, and it was so crazy that people rioted when it got performed in Paris. So so Stravinsky, Igor Stravinsky was this other Russian guy who had been, I think he left Russia before it became the USSR. And so he was yeah. always in, in Europe and, and United States. And this piece was so scandal, scandalous that people rushed the stage when it was premiered. Yeah. And there's this section called the Dance of the Adolescence where there's, I don't want to get into the music theory of it, but there's it's called bitonality. There's two keys happening at once, and it's just like noise, and it's beautifully weird, and it just drops in the middle when this they one uh, Al says something about the 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 bird flying above the wolf, and then suddenly it's junk junk for like five seconds, and then it disappears, and I'm like, what is going on with that? But then I read Stravinsky and Prokofiev had beef. Yeah, they fought. And so what is going on with that? Like, what does Wendy Carlos know that? Probably does Probably. Al know that? 
I don't know, but somebody got the idea. <laughs> let's re let's do this. You know, that's a famous piece, but it's not famous like it's famous for people that know classic. Exactly, music, yeah. Right? Uh, Stravinsky, yeah. I think, was kind of a celebrity, but not like not in the way that most people would know who he is in 1988. Mm -hmm. And there it happens and it's gone just like that. Um, in um, it, just in the overall, because I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking now about there's a lot of people who are going to be listening to this who are Al fans who are not necessarily super versed in classical music, which is of course totally fine. I would strongly recommend for people if you're not familiar with Rite of Spring, that is a piece that is worth listening to. You might recognize elements of it. I think some of some of Rite of Spring is in Fantasia, right? That's right. I was going to say yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I connected with. Yeah, it's yeah. Fantasia. So, so it's you, you're going to recognize parts of it probably, um, but that is one of the most wild, as you just said, like it is an incredible out there, chaotic, like high energy piece of music that is, I think still absolutely stunning. Like that, that's really like, if you don't, if you're not familiar with a ton of classical, that's, that's a really great uh, thing to, to check out. For sure. And it's, it's very opposite to Prokofiev in a lot it's of ways. It's very opposite to this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but there's, there's Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf from the Disney yep. movie yes. appears. Hey, Big Bad Wolf, said Peter. Why don't you come up here and get us now? There's stuff that I don't, I'm not a good enough musician to recognize. I hear it and it sounds like Bach or something but I'm not sure what it is that just appears for five seconds and disappears. I assume a lot of that is Wendy and Al might have more of had his hands on the ones that are more jokes, right? Like probably the yeah. Disney or the, the psycho. But well, I was gonna say, there's also a really good one at the very beginning where he makes the joke about like starting the story a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And they do a beautifully legally safe yeah. version of Star parody. Wars. <laughs> A style parody of Star Wars. It's worth listening to again because at first I was like, "Oh, it's Star Wars," and I actually rewound it and listened more. I was like, "It's not. It's it, they have changed it just enough to make sure that nobody from Lucasfilm was going to come after them, or John Williams was going to come after them for it." A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, excuse me. So you've got to put the Prokofiev, like the Peter and the Wolf on the list mm -hmm. of covers and then the, the introduction on the list of style. A, a very brief yeah. Star Wars style parody. If you ever wanted to hear Al do that, it is hidden in this. Yeah. And then great. what's the last five seconds, right? Is it is that earbooker? Like it ends with da-da-da-da-da or it ends oh, with one of does. his polka things. Yeah, the yeah. very, very end of this piece when he does the the final like line, it does end with a variation of his the way he ends every polka medley he has yeah. ever done. We're we're going into about forty five minutes here, so I don't think we need to go through all of the narration, but I do want to just bring up that the last the last bit of this is absolute chaos. Uh because in for those of you who don't remember Peter and the Wolf it seems like the duck is killed by the wolf. And then at the very end, it's revealed, oh, happy day, the, the duck survived. Uh, not now. Not, not when Al's handling narration. Uh, for his ending, he says, but what about Bruce the duck? Well, the wolf was in such a hurry that he swallowed him alive, which means that the gastric juices slowly dissolved his body and he died a long and painful death. <laughs> However, you'll be happy to hear that just a few years later, he was reincarnated as Shirley MacLaine. 
<laughs> like, That's, yeah, I mean, uh, the violence of it, or even before that, where the grandfather is like, what do you think would have happened if you hadn't caught the wolf? Well, said Peter, he probably would have ripped out my intestines with his teeth. <laughs> grandfather said, I know Grandma that, you idiot. A- it was a rhetorical question. <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, Al's, uh, I, I, I've, we've said it before for Al's, like, usually reasonably kid-friendly music. He really enjoys inserting some <laughs> intense violence when, when, uh, when he feels, when the mood strikes. Another reference in here, we're talking about, like, the sort of symbolism or metaphor even of this being, like, a Soviet piece. He does make a joke about... Um, nuclear annihilation at one point is it uh, boys are not afraid of wolves they're afraid of is it that part oh i think nuclear annihilation and something else yeah Yeah. boys like peter are afraid of a lot of things like nuclear like nuclear annihilation and flunking algebra but they're not afraid of wolves (laughs) and and that's that's another one of those owl equating the pedestrian i know exactly yeah with the uh, catastrophic right exactly exactly that yeah yeah but again another commentary on this like soviet era piece of music like it's and and it's still at this point in the in the cold war when this is released um absolutely um and then nra references later too i was gonna say we're also like he he throws in a it's funny because again in the original piece these hunters show up with rifles and peter is like you guys don't have to worry about it because i caught the wolf so you don't have to shoot him and in the original piece they're like oh good and in this one they're like oh good too but clearly super sarcastic like, and they actually don't shoot him, but I love, like... He says, we'll take him to the zoo, and he goes, and if he has a good time tomorrow, we'll take him to Disneyland. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, I I also, I mean, tied again to, like, that time period, the wolf quotes Dirty Harry at a portion of this, where he says, go ahead and make my day. That's <laughs> like, right. That's right. And I wonder how much of that stuff... I would see, in 1988, so I turned six probably right after this came out. Mm-hmm. I would not have got. I didn't know who Shirley MacLaine was. I didn't know who Don Amici was. Like the yeah. references, to some of this, and that's always true with Al, right? There's a lot of references that I forgot about go the Don Amici reference. Yeah, the it, there's these like a D- Dirty Harry. I would not have known who that was yeah. when I was a kid. See, um, I feel like. I mean, you're a little bit older than me, so I can't say that in 1988 at three I would have known who that was, but. I feel like throughout most of my childhood, before I knew who Dirty Harry was, I knew the line, go ahead, make my day, day, because for some reason, that just got integrated into 80s and 90s cartoons like nobody's business. Yeah, so I think that one... But I agree with all the other ones. Yeah, I wouldn't know who Shirley MacLaine or Donna Nucci And is that a dig? Was that a dig at Shirley MacLaine? It seems like it might have been, and even... Don Amici, like, I, I didn't know, like, I had to look up Don Amici. I'm like, oh, he was in Harry and the Hendersons. I think that was the only reference I actually had for that guy. Before our time, for sure. A, definitely before our time. And yeah, maybe the idea being that these are, like, moderately washed up people. I don't know. It's It, it does feel a little mean. <laughs> so about this whole narration, it's, it's really funny, but I was struck by how similar it is to the regular English versions of it. So mm. he makes a joke of a lot of it, but the beats are all the same with the exception of the ending of the duck getting digested. But, oh, and that's more of Al's duck research paying off, right? Oh, you know, yes, by the way, yeah. That's what happens when, when a duck gets eaten by a wolf. Um, that was definitely research. in one of the books that he, he read, for sure. He couldn't get it into I Want a New Duck, so he got it out here. Yeah. But but in general, so I listened also to regular regular version, one of the many... yeah hundreds of them that are in English and the beats are all the same. He just sort of added 
sarcasm or references in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was sort of expecting, because I listened to the Weird Al one bef- and the Wendy Carlos one before I circled back, because I hadn't heard the original piece in a long time. Um, it's strikingly similar. They kept it close to the vest, all things considered. Like, Whereas the Carnival of the Animals goes a little more off the... It goes a little bit more off the rails. No, and I think that's actually... Carnival of the Animals is at least presented as like, hey, this is a sequel because they missed all of these great animals the first time around. Um, Yeah, well, that was the other thing that I thought was interesting listening to it because, like I said, multiple... I have many memories of watching an animated version of Peter and the Wolf in a classroom. (laughs) And, like, a lot of the narration did feel... Like, I... Even though it, I'm 20 years removed, I was like, all of the beats are here. Like, like it's not like he's just like going in this whole brand new direction, and it's like about Peter and a wolf forming a rock band or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he is following the actual story, just like inserting his owl alisms. Yes, someone well, someone does which, join a heavy metal band by the end of it, of course. By the work. end of it, yes, for sure. Um, but Grandpa does. Yes, Grandpa but like, does. But what I was going to say is, this is the perfect example. This is we've talked about this before. This is like a marker of Al's best parodies, which is that it is honoring and respecting the original while putting a fun, goofy spin on it that you didn't expect. So it's not like a complete, he doesn't throw it's, away the story. You know, he's keeping the story intact and he's making it absurd and ridiculous and this, throwing in comedy and some some violence. But uh, it does, it walks this weird line because at some points, like Mark is saying, the, the narration is almost almost correct. It's, yeah. it's almost like, this is going to sound wild, but it's like the Atari's changing deadhead sticker to black flag sticker to like, <laughs> connect more with the punk crowd it's like he's following most of the original lyrics and then wherever he can see a place to put a little bit more of a weird alism in there he he throws it in there but he's not like sitting there and just like completely rewriting no, no. it from scratch there's the victory parade <laughs> at the end and he's like peter is at the head which he uses as a great little toilet flush joke uh, yeah. I was like, but then once he was done with that, he led the parade. <laughs> like he he manages to integrate these little things while still again telling the same the same inherently the same story. Um, and as a result, yeah, no, it's funny. Like before this, I had never thought of this as a parody in the same way. But in a lot of ways, it absolutely is. It's just a parody of a classical piece, and uh, that's. A crazy thing to think about that he actually pulled this off. Uh, it's it's him and Wendy. I want to continue to give credit to Wendy for her contribution to this because truly it, it would be nothing like how it turned out if without her uh, her spin on it musically. I'm surprised, just as someone in the multiple circles, right, as in the pop music circle, but also in the classical music circle and the music education circle, I'm surprised by how little props Wendy Carlos gets. Wendy Carlos yeah. has hit records playing Bach with Moog synthesizers and then digital synthesizers. So much of the soundscape of the 1970s and 80s comes from those sounds that she was the first person taking them seriously, really. Like, you think of, like, I don't know, Abbey Road has Moog on it. That's that's a year later. Mm-hmm. 1968 is switched on Bach. Yep. And it's so painstakingly... Apparently, the, 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 the Moog synth couldn't couldn't stay in tune more than a, a few seconds. And so she would stop and re-record over and over again. It took thousands of hours to do. And yeah. I just can't believe that So she just doesn't come up more as, no. as a, a luminary and kind of seminal figure in both electronic music and 
music education and class like I don't know. I, I guess I'm surprised this album doesn't. I I, I loved I what you said earlier. Yeah, I loved what you said earlier about her because I think that you you touched on something I hadn't even appreciated, which is that she is so. The switched on Bach record is another example of like she was doing classical music while also being wildly counterculture at the same time. Like the whole idea of making a record of Bach on a synthesizer, like she knew that was such an affront to classical purists that that was clearly like that, that that was an act of aggression to make a record like that. And it became wildly popular and sold tons and tons and tons of records. And to carry that through to this, that same spirit is there of like, what's more rebellious than doing this version as a serious classical conductor, whatever you would want to say of this fluffy piece that people don't really respect properly. Like there's something so like everything that she touched was, this very like, like I don't know. It, it's a statement, and it's counterculture in a way that does remind me of Al. I would have never thought of that connection until this conversation, and I think that's absolutely true. I think well, that her version of like switched on Bach is a classical world twist in a similar way to, to what Al does with pop music. I, I think they both represent. Sorry to use a what a fifty dollar word, but postmodernism. Right? Yeah, so if, absolutely. If if. Prokofiev and Stravinsky are the two Russian sides of modernism versus not being modernist. The idea of let's make everything really complicated and and fancy. And then there's the Cold War fought over that uh, musically and artistically. Mm -hmm. After the 60s, it starts to, you know, the gloves come off and people just do whatever they want. And so you have you have Wendy Carlos reinterpreting Bach on a synthesizer. You have Glenn Gould playing Bach, but changing the notes and the dynamics. You have. Yeah. Luciano Berrio doing a Mahler symphony and having people like speaking randomly behind it and people are just sort of subverting everything and that really goes right along with what Al is doing because they're they're not doing that because they hate the thing they're they're not mocking anything they're they're celebrating it but reinterpreting it and you know we're still sort of in that world on some level where there are no rules there are no Totally. truths anything and anything can have value if you, if you give it value yeah and in the art some, world it's like andy warhol right it's like this right. idea of like it's all it's all part of this collective the, the culture is all up for grabs and art can be whatever we decide that it is and uh yeah i mean this is we're just touching on these different like uh corners of the art world that that hit that mark but yeah it's amazing i should teach a class on this we really like honest i'm so happy i feel like we we dove deeper on this at first when we talked about doing this episode at all i was like man this is a wild like this is so wildly different than anything we have had to talk about or will talk about following for al and i i have loved this conversation yeah no this was uh this was one educational ass episode absolutely yeah um, so where do we land here, Matt? I'll let you make the final call. Do we rank this in a parody or do we just let it exist on an island all of its own? I think that maybe I'm I, I'm leaning towards r- putting the album in there, but I don't. I, and it's mostly because of the next side. Like, I don't know how to rank the songs from this. And I don't know. I'm, like, h- how do I put how do I put this next to Here's Johnny? Well, are you ranking without, the covers? Like, Hmm? Yeah. Are you ranking? Like, the we don't covers have a list like, for covers. Like, no. but here's George? here was my other argument that I would make is like, this is probably the only time that we're going to do an Al collaboration, which also is true. like not a normal thing. Where it's also like, true. how do you how do you rank this? Like, if I I feel like trying to rank this among the parodies 
am I giving it a higher ranking than I normally would because of how impressive Wendy Carlos's contribution is yeah, it, to it's, it versus it doesn't have my the same overall feel. Yeah, like it, it's just, it's, I feel like it's it's that same murky ground that we hit with something like George of the Jungle where it's like, what exactly is this? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So George of the Jungle uh, yeah. and Peter and the Wolf are the two that, are, that have completely you, perplexed us. But I am... After we finish the next side, I am open to the idea of, of including this in the album ranking. I'm open to that, but you know what I do want to do? <laughs> I think Mark should still get to place this on Absolutely. the guest Absolutely. Oh, my God, of course. <laughs> See, See, now we're talking, because the, the, the guest rankings, that's where, this is where it belongs. Yeah. Now you get to compare this with It's Still Billy Joel to me. Slime Creatures is so low. Slime Creatures is so dope. Um, I know. I love it, too. So, so this is really hard, because this is a... This is an exceptional piece of music performed exceptionally. But it's as really a weird, hard. As a Weird Al parody, which I, I would maintain it is a Weird Al parody. I agree. It's like sort of obvious in the sense that it's just, oh, make the lyrics funny, right? It doesn't, it doesn't scratch that itch. And that's not rating. Like, I can't say this is as brilliant as Like a Surgeon or... Yeah. Um, You're explaining all the reasons why, why we're not going to gonna rank, rank it. Rank it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, what I'm going to do, though, what I'm going to do is I'm going to add a deference to the traditional Al canon. Yes. I'm going to put it below any songs that I think are awesome. But I'm going to put go. it above songs that aren't as awesome. Does that I love seem this. Like a That's, that seems super fair. Because this is yeah. excellent. This is an excellent creation. I agree. I totally agree. I'm not going to listen to it very much, though. Yeah. Whereas some of these songs are burned into my memory because I've mm -hmm. heard them 10,000 times. Okay, so I would say better than Living with a Hernia. I would say not better than Slime Creatures because Slime Creatures is inherently very Al, but I think that's a problem with where Slime Creatures is. Not here. N not Maybe not that's a problem the move with you got to make. Maybe that's what you got to do. Oh, because I get to change something, You get to right? move okay. one as well, so you can move Slime yeah. Creatures up if you wanted to. I think it's better than Still Be Joel to me. I think it's better than Don't Wear Those Shoes. King of Suede is where I'm struggling. I think King. Uh, I think I'm gonna put it. King of Suede is. I just love King of Pain. I, yeah. I'm gonna put it below Lasagna, above King of Suede. Nice. Suede with some some indecision in there, obviously. <laughs> if you can't tell. And then what move are you gonna make? Okay. I feel like there's two options that you've made clear, which is either moving slime creatures up or good enough for now down. Yeah. Seems to be your two options. I mean, Melanie, <laughs> Melanie's killer at the top. Eat it, hard to argue with. Yoda, six words long. That was my jam when I was eight or whatever. Mm. One more minute, Nature Trail. All, the, the, the fans have done a, the guests rather, have done a good list. You Make Me could be higher, but it's pretty good where it is. Good enough for now, yeah. I. That's an album I never found when I was a kid. So like that one, I don't have much warmth for. Sorry, I'm taking too much um, bandwidth here. I'm going <laughs> to no, move. you're good. It's a tough decision. I, I'm going to move Slime Creatures up. I'm yeah. going to move okay. Slime Creatures up to, it's not better than Like a Surgeon. It's not better than Hooked um, Polkas. Well, maybe, but I don't know. It's Polka. It's not better than Jeopardy. I, I'm going to put Slime Creatures above Lasagna. Nice. All right. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that I feel like good enough difficult. for now. If I was looking at this list right now, good enough for now being as high as it is is definitely in my eyes. Not that I dislike that song, but that is that is the biggest like question mark right now. Otherwise, I think 
we've. I think the guests have really helped get this into a pretty solid ranking. I have to say, I know you were worried about how long you took there. That was a very thoughtful ranking, which I really appreciate. We've had guests go yeah. on and be like, put mine at the top, put this one at the bottom. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here. And you you really like thought it through, and I, I appreciate your, your commitment to excellence. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> Mark, right. thank you for saving this episode from potentially being about 10 minutes long of Matt and I just quoting things that we thought were funny in the, uh, in the narration and calling it a day. Yes. Uh, is there anything that you have that you want to promote, like a ska band or hey. where people who are turning 18 or might school. want to apply for college? If you, <laughs> if you live in the Boston area, hit me up at Bunker Hill Community College, music theory, music technology. You can also take online. I have an online history of rock and roll class. Hey, Ooh. shout out to people taking online classes. Please stop using ChatGPT to generate your answers. <laughs> oh, uh, God. It's not that oh, hard no. to tell. After I spent, after five minutes with ChatGPT, I can tell when ChatGPT has done your homework. I would imagine anyway, you can, yeah. That's another conversation. Um, I, yeah, uh, check out, I have a website that has, that is, is needs to be refurbished, but you can hear my classical-ish sort of new music stuff on SoundCloud page, M Poppany, M P O P E N E Y. My website will be up, markpoppany.com. I'll, I'll resuscitate it. But yeah, check out the Slackademics. Um, we are uh, sort of overeducated. I think we counted 13 music degrees amongst the five <laughs> of us. It's our, our shtick is we're, we're playing the catchiest, simplest, most fun music possible with dozens of thousands of hours. Tens of thousands of hours of <laughs> of practice behind us, but it's yeah. more fun to play this stuff. So, um, what do you play, on, Mark? Say what? Oh, I'm what? a guitar player, um, nice. and I'm the I write the songs and I sing. If you can oh hell yeah, oh that's awesome. But Very cool. um, the uh, we did an EP came out last um, last fall, so check it out. It's called Skip Class. Um, we're started on an, a full length soon, but um, we're pretty new to the scene, so it's 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 been fun. To get awesome. back post-pandemic out there. So look us up. The Slackademics on Spotify, etc. Do it. Thank you so nice. much. Seriously. Yes, thank you, Mark. You've been a delightful guest. And Matt, uh, we're flying solo next week as we try to parse through these 14 new animals added to the Carnival of Animals. What uh, a carnival But I think we'll is. be able to do it. Oh, we got it. We're, yeah, <laughs> totally. At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 